Okay, and I want to make a, uh, some book recommendations to you before we get started here this morning. I've recommended this book before. It's called The Nature of God. It's by A.W. Pink. And then, actually, the second half of this book is titled The Excellencies Which Pertain to God the Son as Christ. And and there is uh, about 20 chapters in the back of this book that deal with the nature of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's really a profound book. And, uh, of course, it also had the first part is uh, is uh, the nature of God. And so then also, you may have seen this book before, The Glory of Christ. This is written by John Owen. It's about uh, 400 years old. And uh, this is a tremendous book on the person of Christ. And it uh, deals with all different uh, sorts of his nature and so on and so forth. John Owen, The Glory of Christ. Okay? And another one, somebody mentioned or asked the question if I knew of a good resource for Christ in the Old Testament. And so I brought it. Edmund P. Clowney, The Unfolding Mystery, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. This guy's one of the uh, uh, experts in uh, today's church on Christ in the Old Testament. Edmund Clowney. C-L-O-W-N-E-Y. Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. Okay? So I wanted to make you aware of those. And then also, could somebody grab us a basket that we can pass around for a uh, to put some money in? We're going to take up a collection for our CD ministry. And uh, if you have a few bucks, you might want to toss them in there. And uh, we're going to be producing some CDs. So here it comes. Here comes the basket. And uh, one other thing I wanted to say to you before we get started was, for some of you, this information might be um, old information. For others of you, you may have never heard these things before. So I just want to kind of encourage you as we're going through these things, kind of need to cover the whole idea or understanding of Christ. And so some of this you may have heard several times. There may be other parts of this you've never really heard. I can remember being a Christian and um, reading in the Bible that it seemed like Jesus had this existence before his earthly existence. And I, it was always a mystery to me. I never, I never heard anybody talk about it. I think I was a Christian for probably eight years before I ever heard anybody talk about the pre-existence of Christ. So I don't know if you're in that class where you've never heard of those things or if, uh, uh, or if you've heard that before, but we're going to go over some things like that. So uh, if you will, old information, new information, uh, try to hang in there. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your gracious kindness to us. Lord, that you would send your son to become a man, to live and walk among us. I pray, Lord, that there would be room in our hearts for Christ, that the Lord Jesus would reign 
in that place, king as he is in truth. Lord, I pray as we discuss and talk about the Lord Jesus, that you would open up our eyes to see him in an even clearer way than we have in past times. Lord, that we would love him, that we would seek to own him, that he would be ours, and that we would be his. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives and our families. We thank you for the privilege of gathering in this place this morning and looking into your holy word. Oh, Lord, help us and encourage us in our faith in these dark days, God. Help us to be a bright light to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So. As we get started here, uh, we are going to be on starting on page 9 today. And talking about the two natures of Christ. The two natures of Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a man is a fact that is widely known. The historical record of Jesus' life and ministry is clear for all to see. In fact, there have been more books written about him more pictures painted of him, and more attention focused on him down through the ages than any other man who has ever lived. He is, that is Jesus, is the most famous person who lived in the history of mankind without dispute. But look closer at the person of Jesus and you find him to be the most unique person who has ever lived as well. He was a man of amazing supernatural powers, unlike any other person who has existed. In the Bible, the life, ministry, and supernatural power of Christ are seen to be the result of the fact that he is actually the very Son of God. In the Bible, Jesus Christ is presented as God incarnate in the flesh. This fact is known as the deity of Christ or the divinity of Christ. Something very unique to consider about Jesus. He's unlike any other man in this one fact. It says in John 1.14, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there you might be familiar with the word that John is referring to. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. And there in the, in the very first chapter of John, in, the, in, in fact, in the very first few verses of the, of the gospel of John, Jesus is presented as the word, capital W, deity. He is described as the very Word of God. Isn't that an interesting title? Isn't that an interesting concept to think of, that Jesus in the Bible is called the Word of God, that He Himself is the living Word? If you will, what do we, what, when we think of the term Word, what is it that we're thinking of? Well, it, it, it's a vehicle of communication, isn't it? Think about that and apply that to Jesus He's the vehicle of communication. 
Interesting. But what is it that he's communicating? Well, this is, the, this is what's so unique about him. He's God in the flesh. He's God with us. He's God come to be one of us. And thus, what? Communicate God to us. Right? He's the Word. And uh, this is an amazing thing in John chapter 1, verse 1 and following. It says there, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And, and there, John making some very clear statements about Jesus. You know, he doesn't come out and say, well, this is John. I'm going to tell you a little story about the life of Jesus and so on and so forth. John comes right out and this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word. And he's making this proclamation about Jesus, isn't he? And his proclamation implies many things, doesn't it? But first and foremost, it implies preeminence. It implies lordship. It implies deity. Does it not? And then to make it crystal clear, as he goes through the book, he gets to verse 14, and there he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here John is saying, the eternal word of God, who in verse 3, look back at verse 3, he says, all things came into being through him. Right? The word is a him. The word is a he. He's a man. He's describing Jesus the man as the eternal word. And then he says this eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's an amazing thing indeed, isn't it? Surely there are no words that I could try to find this morning that would describe the profundity of this idea. That God would become a man and walk among us. And when you consider Jesus and who he is, he is a very extremely profound man who is not like us at all. And, and this is what we should expect of the most famous person in all of history. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if God really did come to be a man and walk among us as a man, then he ought to be the most famous person around. Would you agree? And in fact, he is. And uh, it's a very interesting thing to consider that, you know, this Jesus came in to time and space, became a man and walked among us, and then to consider how in the course of history Christ has impacted the world. And how he, uh, and there's so many things about him, we're going to talk about some things about him which are just absolutely amazing, but this man Jesus, who is this man Jesus? Who is he? And so we look to the Bible. When we consider the biblical Jesus, we find him to be this unique person in history in which God became a man and lived in the flesh as a man, the God-man. In the history of the world, no other claim as this has been the center of more controversy, study, and focus of theologians and religious worshipers as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. More than this, the claims of this man, Jesus Christ, and the supernatural powers he bore, witnessed by thousands, make him a wonderful and fearful man indeed. Consider just a few of his claims and works. So, here's this Jesus, he shows up, 
and he says things that are unlike any other thing that any man has ever said. You remember that the uh, Pharisees sent a, a delegate to, uh, to go and arrest Jesus, <laughs> and they came back empty-handed. Do you remember what they said? They said, no one ever spoke like this man. Think about it. Who else walks around in the world and claims to be God in the flesh? Well, there's been a few who've done that, right? But they sure haven't borne much evidence of their godhood, have they? Amen? But what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. I've given you some biblical references there on your handout on page 9 for some of these claims. But he also claimed to be the promised Messiah of the Jews, right? And if you know your Old Testament really well, you know that that's also a claim to deity, right? Because it was revealed in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be the Son of God, amen? And God only has one kind of offspring. Would you agree? Well... He claimed to have pre-existed his life on earth in heavenly glory. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus claimed to pre-exist his life on earth? I think that's an astounding thing. How about this? He claimed to be the final judge of all people at the end of the ages. Thanks so much, Stuart. If you didn't get uh, a handout, well, maybe we'll pass those out if we get there. We may not get to that page. But uh, there's some more handouts there for today, page 11 and following. But uh, <clears throat> he, he also um, claimed to give eternal life to those who embrace his message. Think about that. Who's walking around today telling us they can give us eternal life? And how quickly would we dismiss them as a raving lunatic? Amen? But what about Jesus? What is it about the life of Jesus that might show us that indeed he has the power to give eternal life? Maybe the fact that uh, he was raised from the dead, of which there are 500 witnesses or more, right? What about this Jesus who pre-existed his life on earth, who is the final judge of all people at the end of the ages, who is the one who walks around and claims to give people eternal life. Who is this Jesus? If he is who he says he is, I would think there couldn't be a more important question than who is Jesus. Amen? I mean, if he's going to be the final judge of all people at the end of the ages, don't you suppose all people ought to have an idea who he is? Amen? And, and more importantly, maybe we ought to think about some of the things he said? Interesting. Well, he also taught with supernatural wisdom never heard of in history. When Jesus would speak... People were amazed. People are still amazed, right? Jesus has gone down in history as saying some of the most profound things and giving us some of the most profound wisdom we could ever imagine. How many of you have heard of the golden rule? Who knows the golden rule? Somebody tell them the golden rule. 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Where'd that come from? Jesus. Amen? The wisdom that comes from this man is supernatural. It's unlike anything that ever went before him. He speaks with authority. He speaks as if he is from heaven itself. Amen? And uh, one simply has to read just a few verses of the words of Jesus to be amazed. Amen? He did miracles. Jesus did miracles of healing the lame, the blind, and the deaf. Amen? Think about that. Who, who else in the history of mankind can you refer back to and say, this is a person who did miracles? This is a person who made blind people see, who made deaf people hear, who, who took people with, with uh, uh, a lame body parts and corrected it with a spoken word. Is there anybody else like that in the history of mankind? Yet the evidence of Jesus' miraculous healings is undisputed in the historical record. Nobody disputes the fact that Jesus walked around and did miraculous healings. No credible people, should I say. Right? This man, Jesus, walked around and healed people. That that alone ought to cause us to give careful attention to who he is. Amen? Well, in the biblical record, we even have an example of Jesus raising people from the dead. This man, Jesus, speaks and dead people become alive. Is that amazing? That's amazing. That, that is simply an amazing thing. What do we do with that? What do you do with that? Amen? Well, <clears throat> the scripture gives account of him walking on water. On more than one occasion, feeding thousands of people with just a little bit of food. And doing all kinds of profound supernatural things. He's walking down the road. He's hungry. sees a fig tree. There's no figs. Right? So he curses the fig tree. He speaks and the fig tree dies. Interesting. Right? And of course there's always some supernatural insight to gain from that. Right? Of course you know the fig tree is a type of Israel. And the cursing of the fig tree is a type of God's displeasure with the fact that Israel was not bearing the kind of fruit he expected them to bore when he showed up. Amen? And so even with Jesus' miracles, he's teaching and he's communicating. He's the Word. Amen? Well, he made prophecies of future events with pinpoint accuracy. I listed a few for you there. But Jesus could speak and tell of future events. He was a prophet. And, you know, many recognize Jesus as a prophet and they think, well, you know, there's a lot of prophets in the world, so we'll kind of slide him in the prophet category. And that's kind of a supernatural thing that prophets do. Right? But when you add up all the evidence of who Jesus is and the things that he did and the things that he claimed to be, 
He is, in fact, an extremely unique individual. Would you agree? Well, when you combine these claims and works of Jesus along with the amazing story of his birth, his passion and resurrection from the dead, he is an amazing person indeed. And the apostles were going about and speaking about Jesus. And they, when they were preaching the gospel, they were pointing to the person of Christ. In Acts 10, we have recorded in verse 37 here, they're speaking about Jesus and he says, you know, of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible. And and so when the apostles went out and began to preach the kingdom of God, they were preaching the person of Jesus. And, you know, for us Christians, the message hasn't changed one bit. You, you, you wonder what you have to say to somebody in trying to evangelize them? Let me tell you, point them to the person of Jesus. Confront them with the person of Jesus and say, what do you do with this man called Jesus? He's the, he's the focus of it all. Amen? He's the reason why the world exists. That's what the Bible says. That all things were created by him and what? And, and for him. Right? That all things were created for him. Everything exists for him and for his purposes. Right? Why is that? Because he is God, very God. Amen? Well, one does not have to think real hard to realize that no one person who has ever lived even resembles the person of Jesus. And I, I challenge you this morning to tell me of one person who even resembles this man. I mean, is there anybody even anywhere near the plane of who Jesus is and what he did? And the answer is no. Why? Because we're all a bunch of fallen sinners. And we have no power. And we have no wisdom. We have no strength. We're headed for the grave. Amen? But Jesus has the keys to death and hell. Amen? He's an extraordinary person. There's nobody like him. There's nobody even near him. He's, he's in a whole class by himself. And that's because he is the God-man. He's God in the flesh. And this is what we'll be talking about here for, for the next day or two. He is, in fact, the most amazing person of wonder, power, and wisdom. Even those who embrace his message today, some 2,000 years later, claim to have their lives completely transformed in a supernatural way that brings inner peace, joy, and a desire to love and do good like no other thing that has happened to them. Have you ever thought about um, the fact that the message that Christ brings is, it's not just one simple message, but think about how it transforms the life of people. And, and think about the fact that Jesus comes and he gives his life in sacrifice on a cross for sins which have been committed against him. Think about that. This is a supernatural message. 
It's not like any other message that any other kind of religion or philosophy has ever brought to the world. You understand? Jesus is the one that told us to love our enemies and do good to those who despitefully say all kinds of evil about you and persecute you. That you should love them and pray for them. Nobody ever explained love to us like Jesus did. Amen? And then he did it by example, did he not? Hanging on that cross, some of his last words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Amen? I I mean, I, I can't imagine a man like Jesus dying through such a brutal murder and so innocently and knowing that he's innocent yet praying for God in his last dying moments for the forgiveness of those who have killed him. That's an amazing man. Amen? Doesn't sound like something I would do. But I want to tell you, by God's divine power, I was brought face to face with the man Jesus. And my life was transformed. I was changed. I was changed radically. And people who know me, they know that. And, you know, everybody's testimony is not the same. Everybody didn't grow up a wild, crazy lunatic like I did. So maybe the evidence of their conversion isn't quite so uh, black and white. Okay, But in my life, when, when, I, when I finally surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, my life completely changed. Amen? And this, this joy, this peace that Christ promises became mine in an instant. And I mean, this was 17 years ago when I was, when I was born again. And I, I want to tell you that the, the, the life and the power of Christ in me is, is more intense now than it's ever been. It's more intense now than it's ever been. And it's an amazing thing. I, I experienced the joy of God. I have no fear of death. I, 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 uh, I have this guidance from this shepherd who leads me all the way through my life, through every problem I face, through every trial and toil and snare. He is with me to carry me, to comfort me, to be with me, to help me, to strengthen me, to give me wisdom. Amen? Is that who Christ is to you? That's who he claims to be. Not only that, he's promised me eternal life. He's promised me glory in heaven forever. He is an amazing, an amazing man. And his message is an amazing message. And let me tell you, it transforms people. Not just because of what he taught us, but because it carries with it the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. To change those who believe. Amen? And when Christ changes you, let me tell you, He changes you from the inside out. Amen? Well, Jesus is an amazing man. Consider that if all of this be true about this man, Jesus Christ, His person and His message is one that we should give close scrutiny to. You know, if these things are true, we ought to pay attention. Amen? Do you remember when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist? And there 
at the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit descended, and a voice came from heaven. And you know what the voice said? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Listen to him. Amen? Why? Because he's the word. He's the communication of God to us. Amen? He's got something to say. He's got something to communicate. And he's telling us, God is telling us to pay attention to what Jesus has to say. That's really a profound thing. You're familiar with Deuteronomy 6, which is uh, that little passage in the Old Testament that we refer to as the Shema. And you know what the word Shema means? To hear. And there's this concept of of hearing in the Jewish uh, uh, language and, and, and that word, which is more than just, you know, just give an ear. But it means to hear, understand, and obey. Pay attention to and carry out these things. And so when God shows up at the, uh, at the uh, uh, baptism of the Messiah and he speaks with a voice from heaven, this is what he says. He says, pay attention, understand it, and do what he says. Hear, O oh people, is what God is saying when Jesus shows up. He's got something to communicate. He's got something to say. And we ought to pay close attention to it. Amen? even like those Jews did to that Torah. Let me tell you, they pay close attention to that Torah. How many of you know a Jew? How many of you know an Orthodox Jew? Or you're familiar, you've been instructed about the Jews and how they pay attention to the Torah. Amen? Let me tell you. (laughs) The Torah is here. And we ought to pay attention. We ought to give close scrutiny to the things that Jesus has said and the things that Jesus did and the person who Jesus was. When we get to heaven, he is going to be the central focus of everything. And I want to tell you, just the sight of him will send your heart soaring for ages. You will never come down from the high that you will get upon seeing his face. I don't know what other terms to try to use to describe what it must be, what an exhilarating experience it must be to see God. But I I do know this, that this is his world. And when he brings it to its expected end, he's promised me a place in glory where I'll get to see his face. Well... Jesus answers all the great concerns about our lives and our world. I want to ask you, what, what, what deep question could you possibly ask that Jesus hasn't addressed? If, and if he hasn't addressed it in specific, he's addressed it in principle. He's explained to us all of the great realities about life. He's answered all the questions about our origin, about our destiny, Right? He's, he's answered the questions about how we are to love and get along. I mean, if you will, the, the, the gospel has the power to transform a whole society, a whole culture, if people would obey it. Amen? I mean, he taught us how to love each other. He gave us tremendous wisdom. 
He, he answers every concern that we have. And you know, his words aren't empty. He's not in the grave. You understand? This is the exalted Christ who is sitting at the right hand of God, who came down to the earth to teach us, to show us, to communicate God to us, and tell us about the reality of our existence. Amen? It's all answered in Jesus. He is the answer. Amen? Well, he claims to hold the keys of death. He promises immortality. And he has manifested God to us in most profound manner. Upon close examination, we are left in awe and wonder, proclaiming with doubting Thomas, my Lord and my God. You know, when you're confronted with all the things that Jesus said and all the things that Jesus did, you kind of have to make a decision, don't you? Because he was demanding the homage of every man and woman that lives. He was claiming to be God. He was claiming to return at the end of the age to be the judge. He was claiming that if mankind did not have a right relationship with him, that they would perish forever in hell, which he described as a place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched, a place of outer darkness and suffering. Consider the things that Jesus said and the claims that he made. And what I'm saying is, if, you, if you've ever even heard these things, you have to make a decision about where you stand with this man, Jesus. Amen? And family, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. It is, what do you do with this person of Jesus? And either he's your Lord, and your Master, and your Savior, or he's just a lunatic. Amen? There isn't any middle ground. (laughs) Amen? Why? Because he also claimed to be the one who searches hearts and minds. Amen? Well, let's talk about this. One being two natures. One being two natures. Being both the Son of God and the Son of Man is unprecedented in the world. When Jesus the Christ came into the world, born of a virgin, having been conceived by God himself, the eternal Son of God manifested himself as a man. As it says there in Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said to her, that is Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And so the angel shows up and he uh, enunciates, right? This is the annunciation, right? He enunciates the birth of the Messiah and says there that he will be called the Son of God, okay? Now that's a most profound term indeed because it's saying that Jesus is the very Son of God. He's God's Son. Imagine that. And how unprecedented that idea or that concept is in the history of mankind. Well, here we have an idea or a concept which the human mind can hardly grasp. God in the flesh of a man. 
In the passage below, we will examine the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ in the Bible. So when you think about the fact of, when you, when you think about the biblical Jesus, okay, not the Jesus of your imagination, not the Jesus of public broadcasting system, right? Not the Jesus of the Jesus seminar. You've heard of the Jesus seminar? If you haven't, I'm telling you about it. That's all you want to do is hear of it. You don't want to hear what they have to say. Okay? Because they're attacking, obviously, they're attacking the deity of Christ. You see, if we can make Jesus just into a man, nobody has to pay attention. If we can rewrite history and change him in to just another guy who's walking around speaking some crazy message, then there isn't any reason for anybody to pay any attention to him. What better trick could the devil think of, (laughs) right, than to discredit and disqualify the person of Jesus so that when people hear his message, they dismiss it as just some crazy Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago. What's all the fuss about? Amen? But if he is, in fact, who he says he is, we're in big trouble. We're all in big trouble. Amen? And the things that Jesus said and the things that he's calling us to demand a response, don't they? And so, you know, always and eternally, even in the first century, right after Jesus was crucified and the church began, the devil began attacking the truth about Christ. Okay? And and he hasn't... Uh, he, he hasn't let up yet, right? He's still waging war by trying to deceive humanity into not paying attention to Christ and not listening to the things he said. He's been waging war against the church to keep the gospel under a bushel so that it won't go out and people won't be saved. Amen? And how does he do it? He does it because he's a liar. He takes the truth and he twists it. He perverts it. And this is why in the church we have to contend for the faith. We have to keep preaching the same old story again and again and again. And that's why, you know, some of these uh, uh, new twisted ways to, to, to describe the gospel family, listen, it's an old story. <laughs> there isn't anything new about it. It's an old story. It's recorded in the Bible for everybody to read. It's been around for a long time, since before your grandpa's grandpa. Amen? And the words of the story, the description of the story hasn't changed. It hasn't changed one iota. It's the same story they've been preaching for 2,000 years. Okay? And I understand it's hard for us to, 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 to grasp this thing. Listen, you don't need a new Jesus. You don't need a new way to describe Jesus. He is who he says he is. You confront people with Jesus and they have to make a decision. You confront people with Jesus and either their life will be changed or they will walk away hanging their head like the rich young ruler unwilling to submit and surrender their life to him. He's the same Jesus. He's the same today as he was yesterday. And he's the same today as he's going to be forever. Amen? Amen? And so I, I want you to think about that. You know, this, this is what happens. Here's another trick the devil has. Well, 
if we can get the Christians to think that they have to reinvent Jesus and he's got to become a new Jesus and we've got to have new ways to, to communicate Jesus, right? Well, that opens the door to all kinds of problems, which we've been experiencing in the church ever since there was a church. Amen? Listen, we have one truth. <laughs> we've come to one faith, one body of doctrine, one description of truth given to us in the man Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's the message that we preach. It's an old, old story of an old, rugged cross. That's what it is. There isn't anything new about it. And let me tell you, if people are offended by an old, rugged cross, it's because they need to be offended by an old, rugged cross. And guess what? There's a bloody man dying there, innocent. And that man is not just a man. He's God in the flesh. God came from heaven to the earth and we killed him. We crucified him. You and me, we crucified him. Does that offend you? You should be offended by that. It's an offensive thing. But let me tell you, you being offended is not nearly as important as God being offended. And that's what we did to him. Amen? And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we want to make the Jesus a happy Jesus. We want to make God a happy God. And, you know, we want God to be this big, white-haired, white-bearded grandpa in the sky who pats everybody on the head. Let me tell you, he is in fact that for everyone who surrenders their life to Christ. But for those who do not, he is the most fierce enemy that can exist. You with me? And family, that's part of the gospel message. That's part of the gospel message. We're warning people to flee from what? The coming wrath. <laughs> Amen? And that's offensive. We're, we're telling people that God is going to judge them and destroy them in hell. Why are we telling people that? Because that was Jesus' message. <laughs> that was Jesus' message. And that's the old, old story. And we can't reinvent it so that we have a happy Jesus and a big white-haired grandpa God in the sky. Okay, if, if we're going to preach that part of the nature of God, we've got to bring it to balance with the rest of God's nature. Amen? God is angry with sin, and he's going to judge the world. In fact, look around. Look at the suffering and death that you see. That's the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You wonder why there's so much death and suffering in the world? It's because men has sinned against God. And God is simply carrying out what he told Adam he would do. In the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Amen? But listen, God in his grace has provided a way for us to be saved from his wrath. But we're going to have to come to him and acknowledge him as Lord. We're going to have to surrender our life and repent of our sins. We're going to have to turn our back on that rebellion against God. Amen? God help us. Well, this idea that Jesus was God becoming a man and walking in the flesh is a very profound thing to consider. 
Uh, here we will give a brief uh, definition of what it means that Jesus Christ had two natures. Okay, so think about what we're saying, all right? When we talk about the biblical Jesus, we're saying that Jesus is a man, and he's, he's one being that has two natures. And again, this is something that makes Jesus unlike any other man. Every other man who's ever lived, okay, has only had one nature. What kind of a nature? A sinful human nature. It's a human nature. Okay? And when we talk about the two natures of Christ, we're saying he's got two separate natures. A nature as a man and a nature as God. Okay? And this is a very important thing to understand about Jesus. Listen, if you don't understand this about Jesus, you don't know the most fundamental thing that there is to know about him. Okay? And this is why we call him the God-man. I'm, I'm thankful. Whoever, whoever coined that term, it's a good one. It, it says volumes about Jesus. He's the God-man. Well, is he God? Yes. Is he man? Yes. Okay? Well, that's a mystery. Yes. And there isn't anybody else like that in the history of humankind. There's no one like him. Okay? He's unique. He has two natures, okay? Two distinct separate natures. Let's talk a little bit about that. In the 5th century, the church finally resolved a long struggle to understand this unique idea that Jesus possessed two natures. This happened when a large church council convened for this very purpose in Chalcedon in 451 AD. The statement on Christ's two natures that was produced is very comprehensive and is referred to as the Chalcedonian definition. Okay, so here's the deal. And this is what's been going on in the church ever since there was a church. Let me just explain something to you. It's an old, old story, okay? But because of the difficulty in communication and because of the difficulty in understanding the mysteries that are encapsulated in the Word of God, okay, and passing them down through the ages... Because of all those difficulties, it's important for the church to be able to define the teaching of Christ and the teaching of the Bible. So what's been going on in church history, um, and there's, a, there's an area of study that I'll tell you about. It's called historical theology. Okay, So if you've ever heard that term, historical theology, effectively, it's a discussion or the study of theology down through the ages of history. Okay, and what what has happened in the church is that over the ages in the church, the church has been progressively defining its doctrine in a clearer and clearer sense. And how has that happened? You see, what what's happened is God's taken the devil's warfare and turned it back in his face. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, the devil invents all these heresies, all these lies about the truth. And he says, well, you know, it's not really like that. It's like this. And he's got all these uh, ignorant guys, right, who throughout the ages of history are proponing all these uh, heresies upon the church. Well, what it does is it causes the church to have to get together and define what is it that this guy's trying to say and how is it that we can make a confession or a profession of the truth in a concrete manner so that biblical revelation is understood, 
So what's happened is, down through the ages of history, as all these new heresies have come along, the church has gotten together and said, okay, let's come to an understanding on this thing. We're not going to, we're, we're going to learn from this lesson once. <laughs> Right? And then we're going to teach our children after us so that they don't fall prey to the same thing. Because see, this is what the devil does. He reinvents heresy again and again and again. Just puts a new name tag on it. Okay? Because there's always a new generation that needs to be deceived if you're a devil. Right? So what's been going on through the ages of history is the church has been clarifying her, doc- her doctrine. Well, in the, in the early years of the church, say, let's say the first 500 years of church history... The, the, the main focus of, of, of these big church councils and so on was the person of God and the work of Christ, okay? And, and that progressed on past that. But in the early years, it was more centered around the nature of God and the nature of Christ and the nature of the Holy Spirit. And so that when these church councils would get together, they were talking about the very nature of God, okay? So if you will, that in those early years of the church... It was difficult for them to know exactly. I mean, you can't. You don't just go to a Bible passage and set where it says Jesus had two natures. Okay, and it doesn't just give that teaching in a succinct, uh, progressive uh, teaching. Okay, so what happens is the church has to get together and come together and study all the relevant passages of doctrine that talk about the nature of Christ and say, okay, here's how what the Bible teaches. If you will, here's a perfect example. The, 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 the council in Chalcedon in 451 AD, they were uh, trying to resolve the struggle that had been going on, and there were many different kinds of heresies about the nature of Christ in years gone by. They got together, they, they, they decided, okay, what does the Bible really teach about this thing? Did Jesus have two natures? Did he, ha- did he have, you know, one divine nature? That and, You know, there's all kinds of strange heresies going around in that time. Anyway, read with me the Chalcedonian definition. You'll get an idea how they're making this uh, confession of faith. And they're saying, this is what the Bible teaches about these issues. Okay? It says there, we then, this is on page 10, we then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial, co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us, without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, 
and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has been handed down to us. So, if you will, that's why in today's church, you go into a church, and the first thing you want to know is, what are these people all about? What do you ask for? You ask for a statement of faith, right? Because they're going to tell you what in their statement of faith? They're going to tell you how they have viewed the teaching that's in Holy Scripture. Amen? Either that or they're going to tell you some wild, crazy thing that uh, uh, it's amazing what people will tell you in the church or what is a so-called church these days. Amen? But uh, the point is, is that, look, we have these confessions that define for us what orthodoxy is. They define for us what the true teaching of the scripture is. Okay? Now, we, we could spend many weeks going through statement by statement in that Chalcedonian definition and looking at the scripture references of, of why we discuss Christ in that way. But let me tell you, there's all kinds of heresies that derive from a misunderstanding of the nature of Christ. So it's important for us to have a biblical view. It's important for us to know who this Christ is that we're preaching. Who is he? Okay? And what does it mean that he has two natures? And Because it's an extremely important idea. You know, when you start reading about the life of Jesus, pretty soon you, re- you start wondering, is this guy a man or is he God? Yes. You with me? And it's a, it's a divine mystery that's presented in Scripture, which... Uh, because we're giving close scrutiny to, we want to understand. Amen? Not only that, it helps us understand Scripture. Let me tell you what happens. We'll be reading in a certain passage, and, you know, I'll give you an example. In, uh, In Matthew 24, Jesus makes a statement about not knowing the time of his coming. He says that he himself doesn't even know the time of his coming, but only the Father knows that. Right? Well, if we were to read that statement alone, we might begin to ask the question, well, where's Jesus' divine nature, right? Because isn't God omniscient and doesn't he know everything? So if that's true, how come Jesus doesn't know that, right? And if we were to just focus on that one passage, rather than the teaching of the whole context of Scripture, we might quickly be led astray to conclude that Jesus is not God. Amen? You understand? So we have to ask the question on some of those hard passages like that. Why did Jesus make that statement? What is he trying to communicate? What is he saying? And how does that stack up with the fact that he's God and he's omniscient? Okay, you with me? So many times we have to be careful when we're looking at different scripture passages that we have a right understanding of his nature and his character. Remember I was telling you that the understanding of all doctrine flows first and foremost out of the character and the nature of God? And that without a right understanding of the character and nature of God, you can't possibly understand some of the peripheral doctrinal issues that are involved in understanding the Bible. Amen? Some of them are very difficult to understand. But when you have a clear vision, a biblical clear vision of who God is, what is he like, what his purposes are, then biblical doctrine becomes much easier to discern because you see it. Uh, being according to the very character and nature of God. You see things in the Bible, you see things that God is doing according to his plan, according to his purpose. 
And it all comes together in the unity of God's knowledge. Amen? He does things the way he does it for a reason and a purpose. And that's what we seek to find out when we dig in the scripture and we feed on the truth and we learn about God and we're amazed at him. We worship him. We, we pay close attention to him. We look deeply into the things of God and our mind and our heart is filled. Our soul is filled by the knowledge of God. Amen. He's the bread that came down from heaven. We eat from him and we never hunger. Amen. Okay. Well, this Chalcedonian definition sought to correct several false teachings about the nature of Jesus Christ, which it did and has been accepted by Orthodox churches ever since its inception. Wayne Grudem comments on this, and he says, When the Chalcedonian definition says that the two natures of Christ occur together in one person and one subsistence, the Greek word translated as subsistence is the word hypostasis, or in English, being. Hence, the union of Christ's human and divine natures in one person is sometimes called the hypostatic union. This phrase simply means the union of Christ's human and divine natures into one being. I wanted to bring that term up for you. You may have come across this term, the hypostatic union. What is the understanding of the hypostatic union all about? It's real simple. It's, it's an understanding of the divine and the human nature of Christ coming together in his one person. It's a union of the two natures being in Christ himself. And that is what is so amazing about Christ. He has both a divine and a human nature. He's God in the flesh. He's 100% fully God. And he's 100% fully man at the same time. It's a very interesting thing to try to grasp. The Bible makes very clear statements about the fact that Jesus was both human and divine. And this miracle is a precious treasure for us to embrace as we worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4 say this. It says, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant, born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. In other words, he was a man, right? Who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Now he's what? God's very son. Amen? That's another way of saying he's God. Amen? And uh, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So there you have in one verse of scripture where Paul is explaining what the gospel is. Well, it's about this man, Jesus, what? That he was born according to the flesh, a descendant of David, but was declared with power, the son of God. Amen. Galatians four makes a similar statement. It says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Think about that. God sent forth his son. From where? (laughs) You with me? From where? Where did he come from? Who is this man? You with me? It's amazing to answer that question with biblical answers and find out where did Jesus really come from? Where did Jesus claim to come from? Think about that. And we'll talk about that next week. 
Many times when we read through the Bible, we will encounter various passages which may stress one or the other nature of Jesus. When this happens, we must remember that we understand the verses in the Bible in their larger context of the passage, chapter, book, and even the context of the whole Bible. Therefore, we must understand these difficulties in the light of what the entire Bible teaches about each one. As we see Jesus revealed in the pages of Scripture, let us worship him with reverence and awe, and with the hymn writer say, Hail the incarnate deity. I don't know about you, that's one of my favorite Christmas songs because there they are singing about the incarnation of God in the flesh. Okay? And in this hymn, I want to just read a few lines to you. There it says, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, just think about that statement, what it's saying about Jesus. He's everlasting. What does that mean? He was, and he is, and he is to come. Amen? And he's not just was and is and is to come, but he is the Lord. He's the Lord of eternity. Amen? They say there, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the favored one, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Glorious. Glorious thing to consider. That here is God in a man's body walking on the earth. Amen? Profound. Profound. I don't know about you, but I got something to celebrate. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Amen? Well, I hope that's the cry of your heart this morning. Shall we pray? Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to see what this means. That you came to the earth, became a man, and walked among us. I pray, Lord, that as we consider Jesus, that we would understand him to be who he truly is. Truly God and truly man. I pray, Lord, that not only this, but that we would give ear and that we would listen to him. Lord, that we would take it to our heart that he is the Lord and that there is no other. Lord, that we would listen to his words as sweet drops of rain from heaven. And may they water our thirsty souls, God. I pray that indeed we would have an ear for Jesus, the living word. Amen.